Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. There is a lot that is happening in this gospel reading and this story this morning, but there are only two movements that I'm going to invite us to sit with. Uh, the first movement is that there are two disciples who are seeking. Uh, John tells us about two uh, friends who are disciples of John the Baptist. Uh, when you and I hear disciples, maybe oftentimes what we hear, especially in uh, our current context, is, oh, they attended a number of classes, they were given a book list to read, they kept up with the reading, they showed up for discussions, and all of those different things. But to be a disciple, to be a follower in the first century is vastly different than most of us could imagine. It's uh, similar to what still takes place in many Jewish communities throughout the world. It was a total abandonment, a total realigning very intentionally in order to live and to sleep next to and to be with as much as you could your rabbi. I read an author one time who talked about visiting New York City and watching a number of Jewish men all go into the bathroom together in order to follow their rabbi. And it's not very far off for what that was like in the first century. Because the hope would be that if you were chosen to be an apprentice and to be a follower, that you would begin to take on the likeness of your rabbi. Not just to believe what they believed. Again, I think oftentimes we reduce it to that but you would use their same inflection. You would eat their same food. You would sleep at their same rhythm. You would teach in the way that they taught. These men had done this for John the Baptist. John, who Jesus himself will say is the greatest man ever to be born of women. These men, these two friends of John, had aligned their lives to listen to what it was that John had to say, but John was not Jesus. John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was more like Elijah than he was Jesus. So as Jesus walks by in the second half of our gospel reading, John invites people to look, to seek after Jesus. He goes, look, that is the Lamb of God. He begins to recount the story that we sat with last week of Jesus' baptism, of the coming of Holy Spirit, resting upon Jesus. And these two friends of John the Baptist will become friends of Jesus, will become apprentices and followers of the one to whom John points and says, look, friends, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. And what do they do? They turn and they follow. They turn and they seek. I've asked uh, this of our congregation before, of our community, who is it that you seek? And certainly that is one of the questions I think that you and I could sit with in this story, but the question that I want us to sit with for just a few moments is not who do you seek, but where and how do you seek God? Where and how is it that you seek God? And oftentimes in my conversations with people, uh, even in my own life, I will sort of ebb and flow between two equal errors, sort of ditches on both sides of the road. The first is that I only seek God in sacred 
spaces and sacred practices. And I don't like, I'll show my cards, I don't like the whole sacred secular divide. I'll get into that in a moment. But for the sake of just using common language, I only seek God in Sunday worship, in morning prayer, when I fast, when I pray, when I serve. Those are the places. And then when it comes to um, enjoying a good meal with friends, when it comes to doing something I love, whether that is working on the house or going for a walk in nature, whatever those things are, those spaces are largely absent of any awareness of seeking God in those places. That's the one ditch. The other one is that for those who say you don't need any form of sacred spaces. I've seen that one actually tick up quite a bit more in recent years. I think one of the gifts that sort of being forced to stay home gave us was we were sort of shocked for those of us who followed Jesus out of our normal practices of where we met God, of where we met with God's friends. But I just, I would argue there is no space that is not formative. And so even in the necessity of needing to isolate and withdraw, we were deeply formed by that space. So even in my own experience, in my own conversations, there is a significant uptick in this other ditch, which is I actually don't need these spaces to seek God. And both sides are technically right. But also, not experiencing the fullness that is the life of God here and now. Because both scripture and the long tradition of the church, even our own reason, would tell us not to relegate God to any one kind of place alone. But rather we are invited to find God in all things, to recognize there is nothing outside the purview of God's life and the very presence of God. I wish I knew who it was so I could quote them, but recently I was listening to someone have a conversation over the reason why you and I love novels. Even the reason why some of us love some of those trashy Bravo TV shows. Yeah, the giggles, because you know what I'm talking about. I could give you our list and you could give us, would that be a good practice here just to, people are like, don't, I'll just call on somebody, does that sound good? Yes, sir, okay, I got one below deck. Got a second now. But here's what I would argue, right? Because most of us, right, we're like, don't, please don't look at my Apple TV history. I would argue the reason why we are drawn to those shows, the reason why we like novels, whether you are reading, I don't know, I'm gonna be careful here. That's not in my notes, so I'm gonna stay away from it. Regardless of what we are reading, regardless of what we're watching, the reason why we are drawn to it is because they're stories of people. And people are spiritual beings, eternal spiritual beings, with a future in God's great universe. To be drawn to these stories is because there is something inside of us, some have called it the image of God, that longs to hear stories, to see stories, because it's one of the places in which God is present. We don't relegate God to one kind of place. We're invited to find God in all things, which means there's an invitation here to look at the world in the incarnational way, believing and expecting that God can come to us through everyday and ordinary moments of our lives or people. 
And the truth is, I think you and I need regular spaces for slow reflection. Not only for how we will seek God, but spaces of slow reflection to notice and nurture where God is already coming toward us and where God is coming toward others. Because for me to hear how God has drawn towards you, if I'm willing to, will open me up to perhaps a new way that God desires to come to me or an old way that I have forgotten. Even as we've thought about small communities within the life of our church in this season, I met with about 10 or 12 individuals this past week uh, who are discerning leading uh, what we're calling table groups um, over this coming year. And a lot of small groups that I have been a part of uh, sort of form you and train you to be highly reactive. What did you say about Jesus? That's not true. Have any of us been that person or been with that person? Okay, you'll admit bravo, but you won't admit that. Got it. No, it's okay. Got it. To pay attention to someone else's questions about God that even my own questions here, right, there's, there's so much behind both in belief and practice as to the reason why I'm asking those questions. And so as we set out to dream and reimagine what groups could be like in this season, we intentionally crafted a space that is slow, where there's more listening than talking, and there's actually, within the confines of what we're actually going to do in response to the gospel stories we read together, there isn't a lot of what do you think about this passage? But there's an invitation to listen, almost like Lectio Divina. In fact, it kind of is. To listen and then begin to share. And to just simply hold. So if someone says something you don't agree with, guess what? You don't get to respond. You just have to sit with it. You don't get to turn off the phone and set it down, log off of social media. You're just asked and invited to just sit with it. Not because we love making people uncomfortable. We don't. But because we recognize that if we're going to increasingly become the kind of people that notice and nurture the life and the action and the movement of God, not just in our own lives and not just in the lives of people we like, but in those who we may disagree with, we have a different story with, that we need spaces, not by ourselves, but with others, to look and to see and to know. In fact, much of what we'll do in those spaces is formed by dear Julian of Norwich, who I'm gonna do something I don't usually do, which is read a little bit of a longer quote. But no one says it quite like Julian, so I'm gonna read it, let's listen. She writes, quote, once my understanding, and this is in one of her visions, once my understanding was let down into the bottom of the sea, and there I saw green hills and valleys. With the appearance of moss strewn and seaweed and gravel, then I understood in this way, that if a woman or man were there under the wide waters, if they could see God as God is continually with humans, they would be safe in soul and body and come to no harm. And furthermore, they would have more consolation and strength than all this world can tell. For it is God's will that we believe that we see God continually, though it seems to us that the sight only be partial. 
And through this belief, God makes us always to gain more grace. Listen to this. For God wishes to be seen. For God wishes to be sought. For God wishes to be expected. For God wishes to be trusted. I've said this before. Often we think a lot about what we want. In fact, in a moment, I'm going to invite us to think about what it is that we want. But before we get into that movement, I want to remind us of what it is God wants. God wants to be seen. God wants to be sought. God wants to be expected. And God wants to be trusted. And beloved, God won't wrangle you into those things. He won't force you into those things. And God is at ease wherever you are in that whether you want what God wants or whether you want to want what God wants or even if you want to want to want what God wants. God wishes to be seen. God wishes to be sought. God wishes to be expected. And God wishes to be trusted. That brings us to the second movement. Jesus asks these two disciples, what are you looking for? I love Jesus for a lot of reasons. The questions he asks are spectacular. Not only in their content, but often in their timing. Jesus heard what John said. Jesus knew why they were coming. I would argue because these quest- this question, as most of his questions are, isn't actually for him, but for you and for me and for them. Jesus says, what are you looking for? Imagine how this question would have landed with these two disciples. In the gospel reading only, uh, in fact, in all of the gospel accounts of this interaction, especially in Mark's gospel, only one disciple is named. Many believe that because the other person is the writer of the gospels, but a number of spiritual writers have set forth, it's because you are invited to see yourself in the story. And with one question, Jesus' question invites them into what I would argue are three things. For what would really only become the beginning of an inner journey that would change everything for them. And the three questions, or the one question that Jesus asks invites him into three things. First of all, it invites the two disciples to listen to their hearts. Secondly, it invites the disciples to discover what they desired most. And thirdly, it invites them to ask for what they wanted. First, it invites the disciples to listen to their heart. Heart is mentioned over 850 times in the Hebrew scriptures. And not once does it refer to our physical hearts. But rather, in the Hebrew tradition and in the Christian tradition as well, though it can carry a number of meanings, the number one meaning when you hear heart is the deepest center of our lives. More than the place where we find our Enneagram type, more than the place where we find anything else, it is the place inside of us that is the home of God, the very resting place of God. That's what Paul refers to in Ephesians 3 when he says, I pray that according to the riches of God's glory, God may grant that you be strengthened in your inner being with power through spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You would be rooted and grounded in love. 
Jesus' question invites us to listen to our hearts, to pay attention to our deepest longings and our deepest desires. And the truth is, myself included, many of us don't do that. Like if I were to ask any of us, if you were to ask me this morning, what do you want? Most of us are like, I don't know, for the sermon to wrap up? No more awkward questions about what I watch? Lunch? Peace? Healing? Happiness just one more time. Most of us sort of make our way through life with little awareness of what is going on in the depths of us. And the truth is that Jesus longs to be invited into those deeper places, to heal and to do what only Jesus can do. And so Jesus' first invitation in this question is to listen to our hearts, to listen to our deepest longings and desires. And in this, the second invitation is an invitation for them to discover what they desired most. How did the disciples answer Jesus' question? Rabbi, where are you staying? I don't think they actually wanted to know. I don't think they knew how to answer his question. What do you want? What are you looking for? I don't know. Where, where, do you have a house? Where, where are you staying? They don't know what they want. And it can be hard to name what it is we long for, what we truly want, because most of us, again, myself included, are not in the practice of paying attention, of naming. This is the reason why Gerald Hughes, in his little wonderful book called God in All Things, actually suggests an exercise I think is helpful in practicing curiosity and discovering what we desire most. He begins with this. He goes, imagine you have died and that one of your friends is going to write your obituary. And the exercise is then to write your obituary. Not only the one you are afraid of you are likely to receive, that's probably a different practice for a different thing, but the one you long for in your wildest dreams. To not allow reality to limit you in any way, to let your imagination run free. And I would invite some of us to do this in the coming weeks. Don't have to show it to anybody, just like your Bravo history, you can just throw it away. Even if you attempt this exercise several times, I've only done it twice. I've gotten a different one each time. The South African pastor, Trevor Hudson, who I first learned this exercise from, even offers us some questions to consider as we do. He asks, would you like to be remembered as someone who loved deeply or who was always self-centered and selfish? As someone who was honest or who was deceitful, who was generous or who was tight-fisted. As someone who responded with compassion to those in need or who never cared. As someone who loved life and cherished each moment or was constantly complaining. I think this exercise begins to help us uncover. If we sit with it long enough, it's not something to be rushed through but it helps us begin to identify what our deepest longings are. Oh, it's for companionship. It's for hospitable spaces, both to be in them and to create them. 
And the third invitation Jesus extends in this question is to ask them for what they wanted. And I will be the first to admit that this is the one I struggle with the most. I'm a little surprised often by it, in part because I'm still repainting my image of God in a way that is Christ-like. My image of God is of a God who says, you are my beloved and I love you with all my being. So far, so good? But then that God says, however, you must understand that you are not to expect me to have the slightest interest in what you want and what you desire. Your happiness consists in you submitting yourself to my will and total dedication with no thought of your own. Welcome to my childhood. But is that the tone you get with Jesus? I don't think so. Because the God of the Gospels, the God of Jesus, the God that Jesus is, seems to be concerned with his friends' desires and wants. The number one question Jesus will ask of anyone in the Gospels is what do you want? God does not want us to ignore our longings or to push them aside. God wants us to listen to the desires of our heart. And just as Jesus showed hospitality to his friends, to offer hospitality to those parts of us that are afraid to ask, to those parts of us that to even ask are in need of healing, to show hospitality, come and see, as Jesus did, to what our longings and wants are. But this will, of course, beg the question, if, G, if God is really interested, not only will we ask, but does God always give us what we desire? And the answer is no. And in part, because there is just, God is so mysterious, and the way in which God works is mysterious. But also because, as many of us know, not every desire is good for us, good for the world. There are healthy and unhealthy desires and oftentimes in my own life, unhealthy desires parade as healthy ones. Ooh, boy. Whether it's my ego or the enemy himself and his servants, they parade as healthy desires, but eventually, mm, they give away their hand. Because without listing what I think bad desires are and good desires are, let me give you a few things in which to maybe use as a discernment tool on whether or not it's a healthy or unhealthy desire. Unhealthy desires are ones that have a way of shrinking our world. They overly romanticize our expectations of others and relationships, and in the disappointment, they isolate us from other people. They pull us away from God and from God's life. They seek to enslave us and place us in bondage. They tempt us with destructive attachments. We talk about the importance of fellow pilgrims. Ah, most often, <laughs> the way I discover that there is a desire I have named and run after is unhealthy is by those around me. But that's unhealthy, what is healthy desires? Well, healthy desires, on the other hand, they expand our world. God is boundless, and it begins to expand our world as boundless. They connect us with others in ways that give beauty, truth, and goodness in the midst of mess and ordinary life. 
They draw us toward God. They invite us to share in and reimagine God's dream for the world. And most significantly, that when we follow them, we experience ourselves coming alive in new and unexpected and exciting ways. We come alive to ourselves and our relationships and to God's presence in and around us. We grow at ease with ourselves. We grow at ease with God. We grow at ease with God's world and God's friends. Friends, what do you want? What do you want? What are you longing for? What are your deepest, deepest desires? I'm gonna invite us into a moment of silent reflection and to do that, I'm gonna read a psalm many of us have probably heard read, but I'm gonna invite us to hear these words through the lens and through the framework of all we just thought about. And then whatever the invitation is for you by Holy Spirit in these few moments of silence, whether that is to name your desires, maybe to even be curious about resistance that you feel, but just be curious like a child at the beach who found a new shell. Whatever arises. The poet writes this. Relax in the Lord. Do good. Live in the land. Enjoy his safety. Take delight in the Lord. And God will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord. God will give you the deepest longings, the deepest desires that emerge out of that place where God is at home, where God is at rest, the place from which God invites you to come be at home and at rest in God. Let's listen together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.